I'm not actually sure how I found out about that group, but I think it was in Strava that I, I looked up and uh, I found some people there. And uh, and yeah, what like like one of the questions you 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 said to me, Jerry, was uh, what's the cycling culture? I think basically the cycling culture all over the world is is a bit is a bit the same because cyclists have the same attitude, the same mentality, they have the same interests. So it was pretty easy to in every country if you really look for it to. To hook up with a local group and uh, in Zimbabwe there's in, in Harare there's a, a cafe called Giovanni and every weekend people uh, gather there and uh, they, they do a trip together uh, and mostly in those countries it's, it's also for safety reasons because safety is always an issue not only road safety but also uh, let's say uh, criminal issues stuff like that plus one global yet very local cycling podcast brought to you by lowland cycling hi and welcome to the uh, lowland cycling uh, podcast my name is uh, jerry de Bruin, and i have my friend and uh, co-host uh, jeff uh, with me hi jeff how are you good how you doing jerry i'm 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 good um and uh for today's show we have a special guest so um uh, eric nyland um i've met eric on uh, on on swift um it's actually the first time we see each other now uh, let's say face to face uh, via zoom and uh um, Eric is from the from the Netherlands, and so he he joins the 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 Dutch diesel Swift rides, and uh, obviously um, my eye caught uh, his flag behind his name, um, and then I found out that he actually lives in Bolivia, and we started we we started chatting on online, um, and then um, he became the uh, Bolivian uh, road and uh, track champion, I believe, uh, uh, earlier this year, and I said, hey, that's that's interesting. Let's uh, let's invite Eric to the to the show, and uh, he was willing to do that. Then he sent over, let's say, his uh, cycling whereabouts, where what he has done in the past. And I thought, oh wow, <laughs> this is uh, most likely a five-hour podcast because uh, <laughs> Eric's been around. So, uh, Eric Nyland, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Jerry and uh, and Jeff, for the invitation and. Uh, Looking forward for a nice conversation here. Uh, I'm in uh, based in Bolivia. Actually, I'm uh, I'm uh, from a Dutch origin, but I'm also Bolivian nowadays. Uh, I married a Bolivian wife, and I live here in Cochabamba at 2,650 meters altitude. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's that's cool. Yeah, Jeff, I'll leave, I'll leave it for you for the let's have the first question. Okay, great. So, thanks for joining the podcast, Eric. Um, can, for the listeners, can you just give us a background of how you got started with cycling? How I got started with cycling? Yeah, that's a good question. I was uh, thinking about that. Well, as a, as a Dutch person, I think you can, you always cycle from a very early age. When people ask me, when when did you start cycling? And I'm now 63 years old. I think I started cycling 60 years ago when I was a small kid. You know, the first thing you, you ask your parents for your, for uh, Santa Claus or, uh, or Christmas or your, your birthday is, is a bicycle, you know, and uh, you, you just, it's part of natural life in the Netherlands. If you if you live there and you grow up there, then you you start cycling. But I I really started cycling. Well, I'm not a professional. I'm an amateur. But I really started cycling uh, after I uh, after my student period when I was 26 year old or so. When I had sufficient money to buy a, a road racing uh, bike. So uh, before that, uh, I didn't have the money for it. So uh, I was just cycling in the city and uh, uh, but not not not. Uh, not with a speed uh, speed bike, let's say, with a, a road bike. Right, and uh, yeah, please go ahead, uh, Jeff. Yeah. So, when did you when did you make that transition where you thought I, I want to be competitive at this and like what what what, what was that entail? Well, I was living in a in a student house. Uh, I just finished my studies, and uh, it was a bit of a strange time and one of my roommates he said well i have a group and we are going to italy and uh, i know you cycle with a kind of a, a bit an old bike but uh, we would like to invite you to come with us so i, I hooked up with these guys and uh, i actually still cycle with them 
and um, and then um, they had all better bikes than I had. I had a, an old bike, a Batavus, with uh, with these things uh, to protect you from the mud, and they all had uh, more professional uh, road racing bikes. So I joined them, and we went to the Utrechtse Heuvelrug, which is a kind of a hilly area uh, in the Netherlands. Well, hilly for Dutch standards, that is. So I. I was I was the best of the whole group, and they were so angry at me. They said, "Okay, you can join the group, but not on this bike. You must buy a, a decent <laughs> bike because we feel completely humiliated if you join us." So, I bought my first uh, road racing bike uh, for uh, uh, I think it was a thousand guilders in uh, 1988 or so, and then I joined them. And actually, until today, I'm still with that group. Uh, and every year, we, when I was living in the Netherlands, we went uh, to well, either Spain or Italy or France and uh, for one week of cycling. And we just played like a small Tour de France with competition and, uh, and uh, times and uh, points and stuff like that. And actually, until today, uh, I still cycle with these guys. And today I had a Swift uh, meeting with, uh, with let's say, the, the captain of that team. So that's, that's a little bit how I got into it. But... If I look back to my childhood, when I was a small kid, I was six years old or so, I went with my parents to Italy, to the, the Garda Lake in the, in the summer for a summer holiday. And I still remember, I still have the picture, there was a, a road race and I was uh, watching the, 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 the cycling race with my parents. I became completely fascinated with the sound of the, of the passing cycles and they, they gave away caps, uh, cycling caps, and I, I I managed to get a cap, and I was so happy with a cycling cap. And I think from that day onwards, uh, road cycling was was my passion and became my passion. But I actually, like I said, I only had the money when I was 26 years old, and then I started with it. But uh, yeah, it's it's that's a bit a little bit the story how I came hooked up uh, with uh, with cycling. And when I was uh, in high school, I went with my brother. I have one brother, and we normally every year in the summer we went to the, the village of my parents, which is a small village in the east of uh, of the Netherlands. And there was every year a kind of uh, road race, and there was a local hero, and we always watched him, uh, Ari Hassink, in the, in the small small town of Naden. I think Gary uh, Jerry won't even know where it is because it's so no. small. It's, uh, <laughs> It's close to the border of Germany, and it's a very small village. But every year there was a kind of a road race, and we always uh, watched it and we enjoyed it. So, yeah, that's a bit my story, I think. Yeah, that's that's great. So, I think the uh, uh, so you studied. Um, the, the, I think linking, let's say, your profession with later on, let's say, your travels and your cycling and 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 all across the road uh, uh, world, basically. Um, what what is your profession and and how how do you get to travel so much? Well, I studied uh, geography in uh, Utrecht, and as a geographer, uh, obviously the world is uh, is where you uh, where you where you want to be. So uh, I did development geography, so I became a development professional. I still am, and uh, later on, I also did a master's in business administration. But it took me to to several countries, especially in Latin America. But I also lived in. In Peru, in uh, India, in um, in Africa, in Zimbabwe, um, and now I'm living in Bolivia, and um, I've also lived in Honduras, in Costa Rica, and in Peru. So I've I've been around, like like you said, and um, yeah, and uh, and every time uh, I went to a country, I always tried to uh, to join a local uh, group of riders or uh, or bring my bike with me if it was possible and um, yeah that has been always been uh, been quite successful and nowadays it's um, it's more easy because with Strava you can uh, or with Swift you can easily find uh, people but uh, yeah in the in the pre-internet age to put it like that it was a bit more adventurous actually right. Yeah. So, for example, in uh, in in Zimbabwe, Africa, did you did you bike there, and 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 how? If yes, uh, that, how did you find the, the the local cycling group? Yeah, actually, I I did. I was living a, a, a long time, a long time, a couple of months in Zimbabwe, and I brought an old bike from the Netherlands. I'm not actually sure how I found out about that group, but I think it was in Strava that I, I looked up and uh, I found some people there. And uh, and yeah, what like like one of the questions you 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 said to me, Jerry, was uh, what's the cycling culture? I think basically the cycling culture all over the world is is a bit 
it's a bit the same because cyclists have the same attitude, the same mentality, they have the same interest. So it was pretty easy to, in every country, if you really look for it, to to hook up with a local group. And uh, in Zimbabwe, there's in, in Harare, there's a, a cafe called Giovanni. And every weekend people uh, gather there and uh, they, they do a trip together. Uh, and mostly in those countries, it's, it's also for safety reasons because safety is always an issue mm-hmm. not only road safety but also uh, let's say uh, criminal issues stuff like that uh, whereas in the netherlands you can just yeah you can just venture out on your own and you can well you can join a group if you want to but you can also venture on your own but in most countries i lived in it's not so recommended to go on your own uh, i remember um, uh, when i was living in honduras i uh, i went with a group and uh, one of the guys uh, said to me i was the only foreigner uh, you know, one of the Honduran guys said to me, Eric, don't worry. I have a loaded uh, Magnum uh, in my back always. So uh, <laughs> if something happens, I will just shoot them off the road. So don't worry about uh, about anything that could happen. You're safe with us, you know? Right. So it's 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 always a bit... Uh, yeah, you always have to to watch out a little bit where you are and, and always go for local advice. And um, yeah. But I've always been able to uh, to hook up with uh, with local groups and have real uh, real fun and real uh, real good time. Yeah, yeah, that must be amazing. As a Dutch, uh, probably I don't know, taller than than most others, uh, um, joining a group and then then cycling over there, and then you and you see more, and you see different things, and you get into probably into places that 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 you normally won't go into, right? So that's uh, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Exactly. I'm uh, I'm one meter ninety, so I'm not real good in uh, in mountains. I uh, I'm too tall. I'm too big. I'm too heavy. But um, yeah, when when the road is flat, then uh, you can count uh, count me in. And I, I always people always say to me that I'm like a diesel. So um, one of my uh, my Dutch uh, Swift mates, actually, he was an uh, old buddy of mine with whom I went. Uh, uh, speed skating a lot, ice speed skating. He uh, introduced me to the to the Dutch diesel uh, gang, uh, and I really enjoy it. And uh, every time when I have the chance, I, I hook up with you guys. And uh, I all I am also like a, just like my uh, my uh, the person with my same name, Erica Hoffman. I'm I'm also a diesel. You know, I'm I'm not a sprinter. I uh, I just if the long if the road is uh, straight and uh, flat then uh, i'm uh, i'm in uh, in my element as, as right. we say in the netherlands and that's that's more my style and the mountains are not really i'm not really good in mountains but uh you know, i live in the mountains so uh, but there's also some flat some flat stretches here but uh, i'm more a diesel type of uh, of cyclist i think so, so you mentioned speed skating and i know you said that was like your first passion right is speed skating and there seems to be a, a lot of professionals that came to cycling from speed skating. So how do you think that those two um, work hand in hand? Like what, what is the correlation in your opinion? I think in the Netherlands, there's a lot of, uh, of speed skaters who in the summer go uh, for uh, cycling because uh, obviously for climate reasons in the summer, you can't uh, speed skate. Well, nowadays, sometimes you can, depends on where, where you live because you have some tracks where they have uh, like they call uh, summer ice. Um, but yeah, climate wise, it's, it's a good combination because in summer you can do, uh, you can do uh, cycling and in the winter when it's not nice to go out, you can, uh, you can go, uh, speed, ice speed skating and uh, you, you don't really like to venture out on a, on a bike. So it's, it's a combination which is pretty popular among ice speed skaters and, um, most ice speed skaters are also good cyclists and especially for long distance, uh, marathon uh track uh, stuff like that so uh and there's also actually a, a dutch um, uh, team which combines uh, cycling with ice speed skating it's called uh jumbo visma i mean the the, the famous jumbo visma team where uh, roglic is uh is part of and um and also a dutch uh a cyclist like steven kreisreich and they have also uh, ice speed skating um team so uh, and some of the ice speed skaters also are pretty good in uh, in in cycling and in the old days i don't know jerry uh, maybe you're a bit young you are a bit younger than i am but in the old days there was a guy called uh, Gerben Carstens, and he used to be uh, both national champion in uh, i think in speed skating right. and also in uh, in cycling and uh, even uh, Joop Soetermelk, um, the the last uh, winner of the of the tour de france 
so one of the best known Dutch cyclists. He uh, he was a, a good speed skater also, and uh, and uh, many people don't know that, but uh, many people combine ice speed skating and uh, and cycling. So actually, I was more into ice speed skating than cycling, but then. Yeah, there comes a time in your life that you make different decisions. And also, uh, obviously, in the countries where I have lived a long time, uh, there is no uh, speed skating possibility. So uh, only uh, only cycling. But uh, if I get the chance uh, to uh, to go uh, to the Netherlands to uh, to do ice speed skating, I would definitely do it again. And I'm still waiting for the, the next edition of the famous 11 City uh, Tour in Friesland, which was held... Uh, I think it was 24 years ago for the last time in which I actually even participated. But due to climate change, I think the options are pretty pretty slim that it will ever happen again because uh, every year uh, the, the chances of getting natural ice, if, like we say in the Netherlands, right. is getting more reduced and reduced. Uh, do, you, uh, do you guys uh, ice speed skate? or Because you, you, uh, you have, uh, climate-wise, a good, good possibility over there, I guess. There's, there's no yeah. real, let's say, speed skating. It's ice hockey. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, it's uh, when I did my run last week, um, uh, it, 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 it froze pretty good. Um, so the shallow water froze over and you see immediately uh, dads with their kids going on the ice, skating, but, but primarily uh, uh, doing ice hockey. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, I mean, I think one of the most famous, or maybe the most famous ice skater in the world in history was uh, was an American, Eric Hayden. Right. And uh, he also, I think he was part of the Olympic uh, cycling team of uh, of the United States in the old days. Uh, he combined it also. Uh, I think Eric Hayden was uh, was the classic example of, of a, an athlete who combined both uh, disciplines. Right. Right. I actually have a, he just had massive thighs you remember yeah. like you'd see him in the tour yeah. his thighs were like twice the size of everyone else i think he wore exactly. out his seats because like he was rubbing Always so much like, uh, oh, okay yeah and and, yeah. and the, the 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 movement is uh is is similar right uh, the ice speed skaters they sit pretty deep um so yeah. end, with extending their legs it's it's like a cycling motion uh, a little bit different yeah. but it, it's 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 close enough for them to to train on the bike uh during the summer, I actually have a funny anecdote. So, um, I don't know, I was, uh, maybe 17 or 18 and, uh, doing some competitive cycling in the Netherlands and I was out on a ride. Um, and, uh, like, uh, like the name of the, the podcast lowland. So there is no Hills, right. Uh, a little bit here and there, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's farmland. So I was out, out of Amsterdam riding towards uh harlem and i was in the in the polder right in the countryside and uh, <laughs> i was fighting the wind and i i i slowly creeped on up onto another cyclist cyclist which was a lady um and uh um, and she kept on in increasing the speed the speed the speed and i could barely hang on but i i wanted to hang on obviously so finally i took over i looked to the right um, and it was uh, Yvonne van Gennep. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I said, hi. So Yvonne van Gennep, she, I don't know which year, maybe it's 88 or in that, yeah, sort something of, like think, that. Yeah. So she's an Olympic gold medalist, uh, uh, speed skating. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but she, she, she wore me out. It was not easy. So that's, uh, that was funny that, uh, that you meet up in the middle of nowhere, um, <laughs> And uh, was uh, was he fond of a genep? So that's uh, a memory that uh, that I will carry with me uh, for for always, I guess. So, wow. Yeah, that's that's a nice that's a nice story. Yeah, she actually is from uh, from Harlem, no? Exactly. And she's yeah. from from that area. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you do? Uh, did you go to the Kopje van Bloemendaal? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's uh, <laughs> so the Kopje from from Bloemendaal is I don't know how 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 high is it? Maybe uh, I think it's. 200 meters but the climb is maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah three or 400 meters it's pretty steep but that's a very yeah. very small tiny almost like a, a pimple <laughs> um in that area so it's so it, it's that small but it's it draws a lot of cyclists because 
instead of going on a bridge or something like that and, and trying to get some uh, some climbing in, uh, you, you would go there and do some hill repeats. And uh, um, uh, uh, that's the copy from Boomendaal. Uh, so yeah. that's, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I know the place, as you can imagine. <laughs> so, uh, Eric, you're also a triathlete, right? Yeah, I, I did some tri. I did quite some triathlons and um, even some Ironman. I never thought I would, but uh, gradually you you get into it. And uh, I, it was actually the the that cycling group I'm I'm still part of called Kaduta Masi. Some one of the guys uh, did triathlons and um, and uh, you have different types of triathlons. There's also a thing called winter triathlons where you do running cycling and then you do uh, ice speed skating so i wanted to do the ice speed skating part so i invited two of my buddies to do the other part so we started off as a team and we did that a couple of times and also then gradually grew into the let's say the normal triathlons with swimming instead of uh, ice speed skating and um, yeah then you gradually start to uh, improve and to like it and then um, well, I liked it right from the start, actually. But uh, and then I also did some. Um, I started with a with a half Ironman, and I thought, well, I'll never do a, a full Ironman. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, just gradually, you 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 get the, the heck of it. And then uh, I did uh, I did two uh, full Ironmans. One in um, in Cozumel in Mex- Mexico, and the other one in Costa Rica. And uh, really enjoyed it because, well, it's it's a long stretch about. Uh, 15 hours but uh you have to take it bit by bit and uh right. if you if you look at it from the outside you think well that's crazy to do uh with a, a full iron man but it's yeah 15 hours but i've also done a lot of uh, long speeds uh ice speed skating tracks like 200 kilometers like uh, the one in friesland and also in groningen and also in other countries so i'm i'm pretty good in endurance uh sports no i'm not i'm not a good sprinter so i'm i'm more in the long distance uh uh, stuff so um, an Ironman suits me uh, quite well, I think. Right. Yeah, more of a diesel engine, huh? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned the winter triathlons because uh, my wife and I went to Quebec and uh, we went and had brunch at this beautiful tower. It was one of those spinning restaurants, you know, just oh, okay. going yeah, yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. slowly around. And we're sitting there having breakfast and mimosas. And un- right below us, it was a winter triathlon and it was just starting. And I watched and I was just by the window watching the whole time. I was like, come on, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> it, was ama- it was just amazing to see like the cyclists, the cyclists, there'd be like a group of three, like way ahead of everyone else. And then they get to the running part and then you'd see the group break off from there, you know, yeah. and then they get the skating part. And I mean, you could see who specialized in each of those disciplines. Right. So yeah. it just, just shows you like how different those activities can be and how your strength can really, you know, push you ahead. Um, so how do you exactly. balance all of, so how do you balance all of those? I mean, you you have so many different things going on. Like how do you keep them all, um, keep competitive at all at all those things well there's always with triathlons uh, like a friend of mine says i mean there's always one of the elements you're very good at one of the elements you're very bad at and the other element is so so i mean that's that's just the natural way of things so the trick is i think to um basically to try to improve on your worst worst bit so if uh whatever it is and not try to improve a lot on your on your best part because you you gain relatively less on the on the best part so if let's say swimming is your your worst part which which uh which could be then try to improve uh, swimming technique i i did a lot of uh um improvement on swimming technique by just watching uh, stuff on youtube i mean youtube right. is is great you can just <laughs> you can just search uh, for training uh methods or uh, technique uh, stuff like that and uh, yeah then you can can improve that that's one thing and the other thing i think what's important is is that you that you mentally prepare yourself very well i mean um, if you do a triathlon whether it's a, a small one or a long one don't think about all the things that are going to happen still i mean just go bit by bit so when you start let's say running um think of it like okay i've done now 1k so oh this is the next k oh i'm doing fine uh, but don't think of oh i still have to i still have to cycle uh, 40 kilometers oh i still have to uh, to swim uh, 10 uh, whatever you know so take it take it easy take it bit by bit and also the third 
element I think is enjoy it. I mean, I mean you are in good health. You have the possibility to uh, to do these things you love. So enjoy it. And um, yeah, I mean, if you win, it's nice. But if you mostly people don't win. I mean, uh, if you have 500 competitors with you, there's only one person who can win. So don't don't become bothered about or too focused on whether you will win or not. I mean, that's that's not that's secondary. I mean, enjoy, and uh, that's that's a bit what what I learned uh, over the years. I think. Right. Yeah, that, that that's great advice, and um, we often talk about that uh, in uh, during group rides and so on, right? If you um, or if you at competitive age group level type, um, it's uh, uh, try to enjoy it. It if you uh, um, if you always are are best or want to be best, uh, you probably would be riding the Tour de France now <laughs> or <laughs> something else, right? And that's that's only for a very small small group of people um, right who who have those those capabilities so so it's it's the triathlon the skating um, uh, just let's say road cycling um, you also endeavored in in mountain biking right yeah some, yeah sure uh, I, luckily I'm in the position uh, I live in a place where a mountain bike is uh, is very very nice and um, yeah I've uh, I've done quite some mountain biking. Um, one of the it's it's really nice mountain biking. It's it's a bit different uh, the the technique and also the the of course you have more um, possibility of uh, of uh, having an accident if you don't uh, go down uh, easily. Um, but it's nice and um, I've been uh, when I was, for instance, living in Costa Rica. I did what is one of the famous. Uh, uh, well, it's a competition, but it's also, let's say, uh, fun. Uh, it's called the Ruta de los Conquistadores. So it's the route of the, the conquerors, of the, the, the Spaniards, let's say, who conquered uh, Latin America, if you was politically incorrect to say, but that's at least uh, how, it, how it's called. And it's a, it's a competition of three to four days from coast to coast. So you start off at the, um, at the Pacific coast in Costa Rica, and then you do bit by bit, and you end up in the uh, in the uh, in the Caribbean, in the Atlantic coast. So you cross Costa Rica is pretty mountainous. So you come past uh, you you cross some volcanoes, which are three thousand five hundred or so, almost four thousand. And uh, so it's it's pretty roller coaster going up and down. It's a very tough uh, race. Actually, they say it's the toughest mountain bike race in the world. In those days, that's at least they said it was. I'm not sure, um, but it's it's pretty tough, and uh, you have to be well prepared. And I uh, I did it, and it it was really uh, fun. A lot of Americans go there also. They fly in from uh, from the United States, and you meet a lot of uh, of Americans. And it's it's one of the yeah one of the things to do in your mm -hmm. bucket list if you're a mountain biker. Just like I think Cape Epic, or um, uh, also in Colombia, you have now a. Uh, uh, five-day uh, mountain mountain bike uh, race and uh, and also here in Bolivia I've been uh, doing some mountain biking recently I went to the, the Salt Lake which is at uh, 3,500 meters and we had a, a competition of 140 kilometers so we uh, with my mountain bike uh, gang from uh, from Bolivia uh, La Paz we went there and we had a, a great time and we actually organized ourselves more a bit like a like a team time trial uh, we had a group of seven, uh, five men, two ladies, and I—I uh, I was a bit the, the senior guy. So I—I I mean, my Bolivian friends—they don't have experience like like we have in Jerry, I guess, mm -hmm. and, and and Jeff also in in riding in a group. Because when you're a mountain biker, you don't you don't actually ride in a group. You exactly. always venture. Maybe you are in a group, but you 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 don't know how to to stick close to someone else. So mm -hmm. I organized it in such a way that we we really had a. Uh, a group ride and everyone taking turns it was a flat race it was a, it was a salt lake so right. it, it was flat <laughs> and flatter than the netherlands but still and you can have a lot of advantage if you are in a group as you as you can imagine so uh, we had a great time it was really really nice and i really like uh, mountain biking right. do you do mountain biking over there where you where you guys live oh yeah it's very popular yeah. where we are there's a very competitive um series called the mid-atlantic super series um and we have people from all over um in, no, in non-covid years it will travel from delaware new jersey pennsylvania 
Maryland. So you, you're going all over these states and everything. And um, yeah. you can race every weekend if you if you want to. Right. Wow, cool. And it's um, yeah. We are in the in in the Philadelphia area, and um, it's um, it's hilly. So it's 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 okay. glowing and um, um, it's 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 hilly. There is there isn't really a flat <laughs> flat part here. You, you always end up uh, going across uh, going across a hill, and I don't know. Further to the west, you have the uh, the Appalachian uh, Mountains. Um, uh, so yeah. that's that's a little bit higher. Um, so that's yeah, it's it's a beautiful area to uh, to to ride your bike, um, whether it's mountain bike or road bike. Um, it's uh, um, it's 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 great. Yeah. So living and and cycling or uh, at altitude, um, uh, how how does that work? And uh, you you adapt uh, obviously, but uh, um, is, is any day at altitude just like the other day or is there other differences there i'm just curious how that your body kind of adapts to that and and how you how you yeah deal with it yeah it's a good it's a good point actually uh doctors say you can't really adapt when you are let's say physiologically from uh from a different area i mean obviously local mm. people are are adapted um but there is a kind of um sort of yeah, natural adaptation you 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 can you can have. I mean, living here at two thousand six hundred and fifty is is still okay. I also have been living in La Paz at uh, which is thousand meters higher, which is three thousand seven hundred. It goes up till four four thousand one hundred. There, you really notice the altitude. At least I do uh, more than uh, than here. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, it it takes its toll. I mean, there's also a mountain bike race which is quite famous. Um, which goes from the, the trop- subtropical lowlands of Bolivia, close to La Paz, at 1,500 meters until I think it is 4,850. Uh, I've done it twice with the mountain bike. Uh, but the higher you get, the more you feel that your body just doesn't have the power to, to push the pedal. So uh, it was a nine-hour race or so. Um, I really enjoyed it, but it's it's very tough also because of the altitude, the, the, the weather. It was very cold. It was raining. But yeah, altitude definitely uh, is, is influencing. And um, I've also been doing some climbing some mountains here. The highest mountain is 6,550. Well, I did that 25 years ago, actually. not I haven't been climbing mountains uh, here recently. Um, but uh, yeah, it, cycling at altitude definitely is... Uh, it's tough, and uh, even Cochabamba, we have the, the the advantage that they say that this is in fact the good altitude. We have a, a track cycle. Uh, how you say that? A, a indoor uh, track uh, stadium. How do you, you say that in? Yeah, in a velodrome at, at a track. Yeah. Velodrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have an old one and a new one. A new one has been built uh, two years ago, and it was used by the first Pan American Championships and a lot of world records especially at uh, at the sprint uh, distances like 200 meters were, were broken there also by uh, by americans and um, and they say at, at least studies have been undertaken that the perfect altitude um to have less resistance of the air is is exactly the altitude where this velodrome is so um you might know that there is also a velodrome in mexico where they did the, the hour record uh in aguas calientes where eddie merricks no not Eddie merricks but uh uh, recently, the, the, the hour record was broken there by a Belgian guy. Uh, apparently, the, that's the perfect altitude in terms of uh, uh, resistance of, uh, of of the wind, of the the of the, the air, um, because at, at at sea level uh, you have more resistance and uh, the conditions are not are not that good. So you have advantages and you also have disadvantages of the altitude. Yeah, we've interviewed some uh, track cyclists. I'm, I'm sure some of them have been out there to the Bolivia track, right? Jerry, do you remember off the top of your head? Um, I would have to look it up, but um, I, I, how long ago is that, the, uh, the Pan American? That was uh, one and a half year ago. Actually, I was looking it up just prior to our uh, interview, and um, some Americans were there. Uh, Ashton Lambie, you might recall him. He broke mm-hmm. a world record there. Uh, also a guy called Eric Young. 
he did he broke the record the american record of one kilometer and uh well there's se several of them um but apparently especially for short distances the uh the track in Cochabamba is the fastest in the world. It was built by the Mexicans and it was made by Finnish uh, pine wood. And uh, apparently it's the fastest, at least for for short distances, for like uh, 200 meters flying, 500 meters flying. Mm. And actually um, uh, just prior to the pandemic, the Dutch guy called Theo Bos, you might mm -hmm. uh, know him, uh, Jerry. He was, uh, I was having contact with him and he was uh, planning to come over to do his last his last trick, as they say, to uh, try to beat the, the world record of one kilometer because that's his uh, specialty. But um, yeah, as it is, the pandemic changed everything. So uh, he uh, postponed or he canceled his uh, his trip, and uh, maybe he's now too old to uh, to uh, to do it again. But um, it's it's a very beautiful uh, track. I, I've only had once the opportunity to cycle there, and it's it's really very very fast. Uh, it's a bit scary actually because you go so so fast. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a 250 meter trek if I'm correct. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's extremely fast. So uh, if you, uh, I think I went to see those Pan American Championships, and I think they even the fastest speed they uh, they had was about 70 kilometers an hour or so. I mean, just. It's amazing. Uh, a guy from Trinidad and Tobago, he, he broke the world record there. My goodness, if you talk about the size of uh, of Eric Haydn, I mean, this this guy was yeah. double double his size, you know? It was amazing. Yeah. 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 I, I, I bet that uh, Mandy Margard um, was there also. So she, she has been on the show um, before, and she's a, she's a sprinter. Um, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so. and actually, um, Molly, Molly van Houweling, she's mm -hmm. American, but she has a Dutch, uh, Dutch roots, let's say, but I think she's already sixth uh, generation of American. She came over to try to beat her age group uh, record uh, of the hour. I mean, she, she was the woman who, um, who took away, uh, to, 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 to say it like that in Dutch terms, the, the, the hour record of, um, what's the Dutch lady called? Um, she had 11 years, the world record of the hour, a Dutch woman, Leontine uh, uh, from, Leontine from Marshall. Marshall, yeah. yeah. And then, and then Molly uh, broke uh, the record and she had it a very short time because there was already another one who, uh, mm -hmm. who, who got the world record. But actually Molly still is the, I think she's at least the American uh, record holder, but maybe even the world record holder of her age group. And she tried to beat her own record here, uh, which was uh, established previously in, in Aguas Calientes in Mexico. But she wasn't able to um, to beat her record. I think uh, she might want to try to uh, to come back again. But uh, she did she did well. But it was just not enough. And she said, "Well, one of the disadvantages of the Cochabamba track is that it has a small small opening where wind goes in oh, okay. and dust comes in. Whereas in Mexico, it's completely closed. So uh, I think technically the the Mexican uh, track, although it's lower, uh, might be a bit smaller, uh, might be a bit faster for uh, for longer uh, longer distances because right. of those uh, imperfections which uh, which we had here in uh, in Bolivia. But anyway, we'll see. At, at the moment, the track is still closed because we we just had a government change, as you might as you you might know. But um, I guess people in America were more busy with the their own elections <laughs> than with the elections here in Bolivia. <laughs> yeah. But um, I hope that with uh, the the establishment of the new government and gradually new new people being uh, appointed, that it will be uh, opening uh, again. And then I hope to be uh, cycling there again. Right, right. Because now you go to the the older track, and which is an open air, right? If I see some pictures exactly, of you yeah. now and then on Strava, exactly. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, which is nice also, but it's uh, definitely not. Uh, not not the best but uh for training it's it's okay but i uh, one of my goals uh, actually even before the pandemic was to break the bolivian record which is 42 kilometers an hour um uh, which should be doable for me uh despite my age at the at the indoor uh track at the velodrome but in the outdoor i think it will be a bit difficult uh, mm. but maybe we'll see we'll see yeah yeah exactly it's uh that's yeah. that's a nice uh, nice goal to uh, to set. And then talking about about records and and championships. So obviously we uh, um, at Zoom can see the see the the, the championship jerseys behind you. Um, 
these were pretty recent, like like this year, 2020. Um, yeah, I, I recently there were, um, well, we had, obviously we're still in a pandemic, but at the moment when things were a bit uh, easing, uh, the, the, the competition started off again. I think it was in August or September. And um, I, uh, I was asked to participate uh, as a delegate from Cochabamba because you have to, uh, it's all, it goes up from level to level. So if you're the, 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 the regional authorities of cycling, they wanted me to participate. And um, yeah, I, it went all right. I, I became, uh, in my age group, uh, 60 to 65, I became the, the record in the time trial. And then uh, the road race was the next day. It was in Sucre, which is the uh, same altitude as here, but it's six hours away driving from here. And the next day was the road race. And a, a bit of a hilly uh, a hilly uh, route, mm -hmm. not really very suitable for me. But, yeah, I managed uh, uh, all right. And I uh, I beat the, the Sucre guy in the sprint. We had a group of uh, 15 or so. And uh, gradually people uh, were getting dropped. And uh, I'm very proud of those uh, jerseys. Nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's uh, really nice to be uh, to be called on the podium as a national champion of a country. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was also a time trial uh, champion, uh, but that was in, in the Amazon region, which is a flat region for so for a Dutch diesel like me. That was uh, maybe a bit uh, less challenging and a more uh, piece of cake to uh, to beat my opponents. So I have three jerseys actually. If you can, uh, I can show them. There's three of them yeah. there. So. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was quite nice, and uh, yeah, it. Uh, I'm I'm very proud of it, and uh, the road race. I'll send you the the report. I small. I wrote a small, uh, small, small report okay, in cool. Dutch. Yeah. Very, I'll send it to you. So you've lived in a lot of places. What would you say was your favorite um, place to ride? Oof, it's difficult to say. I've been I've been riding all over the world. I've been uh, riding in Zimbabwe, India, Nepal. Honduras, Costa Rica, Peru, Bolivia, Netherlands, and uh, also traveling a lot. Yeah, well, if, if you, I think Italy, I have never lived there, but I visited it quite a lot. But I think in terms of cycling culture and, and also food-wise and, and, and yeah, other aspects of, of life, I think Italy is a very nice place to cycle because if you cycle with a group, which I, I always do, um, yeah, obviously most important Besides cycling is, let's say, having a good cup of coffee and, and right. good food. <laughs> and then definitely uh, Italy is the best place to be because uh, you are, you feel welcomed as a cyclist wherever you go. Whereas in, sometimes in other countries, people look at you a bit weird or uh, or even sometimes a bit hostile. And uh, But it's, in Italy, it's not a problem to enter a nice restaurant with a, with a sweaty outfit of, of cycling because people respect cyclists a lot. So... Uh, and for restaurant owners, it's uh, it's a kind of an honor to receive groups of cyclists. And um, so, if if you would ask me what's my favorite place to cycle, I would definitely say Italy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely something for that welcoming. Uh, when I was over in France, I was at a grocery store, and an old woman walks up to me. And she, she saw my shaved legs, and she's like, "Are you a cyclist?" I'm like, "Yeah." And she's <laughs> like, "Oh, let me tell you about this race that came through my town." And she wanted to tell me all about it. <laughs> so, it's pretty neat. You don't get that here in the U.S. <laughs> so, I I actually never cycled in the U.S. It's unfortunate, but uh, I was planning to go uh, to visit Molly uh, Molly van Auerling and Rob, uh, her husband, in, in May. But yeah, I mean, things obviously uh, went a different uh, way due to uh, to COVID. But yeah, like like you say, Jeff. I mean, cyclists. Uh, I mean, cycling always opens a door for for people that approach you and they like uh, cyclists and they, uh, they invite you and they uh, they make way for you. And uh, yeah, it's it's always like like I say said earlier. It's there's a kind of universal language among cyclists right. uh, all over the world and. Uh, it's it's always it's always very funny. I was um, a couple of months ago cycling with my buddies in La Paz, and uh, and we were uh, having a cup of coffee somewhere on the road, and then people started complaining about, oh, yeah, I haven't been training. Oh, I, I have pain in my <laughs> in my leg. Oh, I have this. Oh, yeah. I have that." I said, "Oh, we have the, we have the hospital." Uh, 
we have the hospital gang again. I mean, uh, they said, yeah, I mean, how, why do you say that? I said, well, it's all over the world. It's the same. People yeah. always have excuses and, and they think they say they haven't practiced and they haven't done enough and they feel bad and they had a hangover or whatever. It's everywhere in the world. It's the same. Their actually. excuses yeah. are the same. Yeah, <laughs> already. <laughs> Just yeah. giving a disclaimer. If you get dropped on the climb, you, you, that's, 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 that's all the excuses you need. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. There's always a good excuse, but my, my golden rule is always not, not more than one excuse because the, the moment you start with, with several excuses, it's not convincing anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just stick with your best one, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. So are there any places that are still on your bucket list that you want to go visit, go ride? Yeah, there are. I mean, it's always nice to have a bucket list. I was going uh, this year to uh, to Chile. There's a there's a road race, uh, which which is called uh, going to the end of the world. El, uh, El Gran, Gran Clásico Fin del Mundo. You start off at sea level and you you climb until two thousand five hundred meters or so, and then you end up in the snow. And it's it's being held in uh, in October, so just after. Uh, the winter season, so the snow is smelting, so the roads are clear and the weather is nice and uh, the scenery is absolutely fantastic, but uh, becomes the same story. Actually, COVID changed it all. So um, it's planned now for next year. And there's also a mountain bike race in, um, in Colombia, which is called um, the legend of, the, of El Dorado. El Dorado, as you might know, is the, the, the famous legend of the of the, the, the Indian, the, the local indigenous people who had this lake where they bathed themselves and uh, all the gold was there. And that's called El Dorado, which actually is a small lake close to the capital of uh, Bogota. And there's a five-day um, five uh, race there, a uh, mountain bike, which uh, I was going to be there this year, but uh, it has been postponed next year. But definitely, I would like to uh, to go there. I also have some Colombian friends, and um, but one of the the things which uh, which was on my bucket list, which I can recommend to any one of you guys, is uh, is um, is called uh, it's in, in South Africa. It's uh, it's called the, the the Argus Cape Argus Pick and Pay. Uh, um, what's it called? Well, it's, it's a day it's a day trip. It's 160 kilometers or so. It's around Cape de Good Hope, Cape de Goede Hope, in good Dutch, and uh, it's I think it's the the biggest cycling event in the world. I think they have thirty five thousand people participating, hmm. and it's actually amazing. Uh, the whole road is just for cyclists, wow. so you're uh, there's no. It's I think it's the best organized cycling tour I've ever done in, in my life, and it's really really amazing. So. Uh, the weather can be spooky because it's uh, it's always windy, and uh, mm. when it's windy in over there, it's really windy. I mean, uh, as Dutch people, we are used to wind, but that's nothing compared to how okay. it can uh, it can be windy over there. Although today we have, a, I think, a storm in the Netherlands, right. but uh, it's definitely very windy. But it's really, really nice, and uh, you the scenery is absolutely fantastic, and you. Yeah, you. It's like two oceans you see at the same time. Uh, you you cross them, or you you drive past them, and you can see whales. You can see penguins, and mm. uh, if you have time to watch uh, over your shoulder when you are cycling with all those people, right. so it's really really nice. It's in March every year, and it's it's the biggest cycling event in the world, and it's absolutely awesome and fantastic. But yeah, there's still a lot of other things I would like to do. I would like to do uh, the Lake Tahoe uh, circuit, which mm. uh, I guess you guys. Uh, know it know it also it's uh, one of the the most beautiful stretches in the world and um yeah so there's always things on my bucket list but um right. that's the good thing about the bucket list you know this it never empties you know, there's always things <laughs> you have to add always. write more on it yeah the uh so yeah. so it seems to fill up more than empty right <laughs> right yeah the, uh, and i think yeah. the uh the the n plus one principle for you eric uh certainly applies right uh um, and plus one year, there's always a new bike that 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 you want to buy. So you, I, I, you should you at least have a time trial bike, a road bike, a mountain bike, a track bike, most likely. Do you, do you do any uh, gravel riding, um, especially in in South America, and or is that a combination of your road bike more? Yeah, and actually, I bought a gravel bike, but I cancelled my trip to the Netherlands these days. But it's it's ready for me, waiting for me. Uh, oh. I bought a, a specialized Diverge, 
which is uh, now in some uh, bicycle shop in the Netherlands waiting for me to get picked up. Um, but I think reveling would be nice here because there's a lot of roads. Um, you don't have a lot of single tracks here for uh, mountain bikes. Mostly when you mountain bike, you do it on, on, on roads where also four-wheel drives or even mm -hmm. normal uh, passenger vehicles drive. So I think, I think most uh, routes you can take... Uh, which you do as a mountain biker are also accessible for gravel bikes. Right. So, and, and some friends of mine, they have a gravel bike here. So uh, yeah, I would definitely like to, uh, to do some gravel biking, but uh, yeah, I have mountain bike. I have a time trial bike. I have a track bike. I have a road racing bike. Uh, I, I don't have a BMX. I'm not into BMX. I think <laughs> I'm too old for that. And uh, I could do that, but I think, uh, yeah, that I should have maybe have done uh, in, in another life or, uh, or do in the next life, but uh, no, I, I'm not into uh, BMX. But uh, my my favorite thing is, uh, I think, road racing and uh, and also track uh, track cycling. Those are the things I like most. But I also enjoy mountain biking. Right. Yeah. And, and do you any uh, cycle cross racing? No, but um, yeah, I like to watch it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, I have never I've never done done it. But uh, no? I think I think that there's also but uh, the, the the difference between a gravel bike and uh, and uh, a cross bike is not that much. But uh, no, I've I've never done it, and uh, I I don't I think you have to live in in Belgium uh, or in the Netherlands to uh, or in America to uh, to do it. But here you don't have any possibility, I think, to do it. I was actually thinking: Do you do a lot of, let's say, your your maintenance on your bikes yourself, or do you always find a local bike shop to help you? How does that work for you? I do. I'm I'm not a really a good technician, so if I can uh, delegate that uh, that to uh, anyone else, uh, I'm happy to do so. And uh, um, I have a bike shop just two blocks away, and the guy of the bike shop is also a cyclist, and we uh, he's in the same age group as me, so we know each other well. Okay. So he he, he always uh, asks technical stuff to me, and I said, uh, Miguel, don't ask that to me. I you know I'm not a I'm I'm not a, a technician. Uh, but how is it possible you don't know it? I said, well, I speak seven languages. So what do you want? I mean, I have other other abilities. So um, if I can, uh, let's say, uh, delegate uh, those uh, technical stuff to uh, to another person, I'm happy to do so. I, I can do the basic stuff, you know, yeah. like uh, flat replacing tire, uh, uh, yeah. a flat tire. And, yeah, and uh, I'm able to... Uh, I say that to to make my bike smaller if I travel, and then sometimes I have some difficulties to get my bike in the original state again. But um, I, I do what I what I can do. But uh, when it comes to more technical stuff, especially, let's say the the how you say that the asset, the the the, the, the maintenance hubs, yeah. of the of the interior parts, mm -hmm. then uh, it becomes a bit too uh, too difficult for me. So I try to uh, to make other people happy who can uh, do their services and I pay for them. So, and we 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 touched upon uh, Swift uh, a couple of times. So, what 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 is Swift offering you? Let's say, and, and with with COVID again, everything changed, right? You 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 spend much more time indoor than than outdoor. But um, what do you like about Swift? Yeah, well, I, I bought a Wahoo kicker, uh, an intelligent, I uh, say, the smart. How uh, you say that? The smart, smart trainer. trainer. Yeah. When I uh, went to Honduras, which was about um, six years ago, because I thought, well, if I go to Honduras, security is maybe an issue, so I better do more indoor stuff. So I started already prior to the the, the pandemic with mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with indoor cycling. Let's let's say. I wasn't into Zwift. Uh, I, I had a program called the Trainer Road, which I also quite like a lot. Right. Um, it's quite useful, uh, but it's a bit more boring because you don't have... So normally you only see a, a figure, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in Zwift, well, you know, uh, you see uh, as if you are on, in the real world cycling. So what I used, used to do was to have Trainer Road and then I... I I, I watched Milan San Remo or mm. some stage of the Tour de France, and I was imagining I was part of that. So it was <laughs> a kind of, a, let's say, a cheap way of uh, of imitating uh, road racing. But when um, when the the pandemic started, um, yeah, we had a very tough lockdown. About half a year, we were hardly allowed to go uh, outside, only for shopping, uh, and I wasn't allowed. Or many, or we here in Bolivia, we were not allowed to. Uh, to to venture off uh, mm -hmm. out, outside the city so um 
yeah, I, I didn't do, I've been not cycling outside for half a year or so. So I, I, I started up picking up Swift and um, I hooked up with you guys of Dutch mm. Diesel, which is really nice. And um, yeah, so every day I did, uh, I was doing an, an hour or so. And, and like now I was just watching on my uh, Strava and I have done, I think, um, almost 100 kilometers uh, going up this year in, uh, in Swift. Uh, 15,000 kilometers I've been doing this year, which is uh, for me a lot because uh, normally I do 2,000, 3,000, maybe 5,000, but that's about it. But I've been doing outside, I think, 3,000 and inside uh, on Zwift, uh, 12,000 nice. kilometers. Um, so it's almost 10,000 miles, I think, because you guys uh, measure in miles. Right. But I really like Swift because you can really, yeah, um, search what you what you want to and you can make new friends like we know each other now uh, mm -hmm. through uh, Swift you can join group rides you can do competitions you can do time trials uh, with a team uh, you can just do a group ride you can uh, just uh, venture out and do a, a route which you don't haven't been doing before so it offers a lot of uh, possibilities and uh, it also offers me the possibility like this morning I had a ride with some uh, Dutch some old Dutch friends right and uh, I, I organized a meetup and uh, we did the volcano climb and it was really fun. So uh, I really like Swift. It's, uh, it's amazing. And you have all these different uh, uh, circuits, which you can do like Paris, Richmond, London, uh, well, you, you name Innsbruck. Uh, so it's, it's really, it's, it's really fun. I really enjoy it. And uh, yeah. And the one hour Swift is like uh, five hours on the road. I mean, uh, it's after one hour, I'm uh, I'm done. Like uh, you guys are preparing for 100 miles. So yes. I'm not sure. I've been doing some some long distances, but um, yeah, you, you have to build it up gradually. But it's really uh, it's really nice, uh, Swift, and it's uh, it's a bit of obviously it's different, but it's uh, it, I really enjoy it a lot. It's it's a, it's a it's an amazing program. I also tried some other programs like Groovy, but I didn't like it that much. And uh, Trainer right. Road is okay for training purposes, but Swift is like. Yeah, sometimes I even, um, I even, uh, how you say that, I betrap myself up. Sometimes I, um, I uh, catch myself. I yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, that I, I don't even want to go out. I just stay in, and uh, I'm happy with one hour swift. And I'm looking more, more towards uh, one hour swift than going outside again with all the hassle of the street and the cars and the traffic jams and stuff like that. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah. The safety aspect is. Uh... Uh, most certainly uh, part of, of people spending more time on, on Swift. And then obviously you have uh, a lot of, let's say, diehard uh, people that, that <laughs> what's in the name, no pun intended, right? Diehard going on the road um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, choosing to do that. And uh, I think it's a, it's a good balance. But to your point, if you if you look at the amount of miles, virtual miles that people do on, on Swift, that's, that's amazing. I was um, chatting with somebody earlier this morning. Um, he did uh, 13,000 miles and 80% was on, uh, on, on Swift. So yeah. that's, that, that's huge, right? You, you almost have to be on Swift every day and uh, putting in, yeah. I don't know, 20, 30, 40 miles at least in order to yeah. get to that number. So. That's yeah, impressive. I uh, actually because of the lockdown uh, and the, the COVID, I I try to do more or less like you say, one hour a day, and then uh, one hour a day keeps uh, COVID away. You know, I right. mean, it's like uh, it's like a good way of uh, yeah. Also, when you're locked in and you have a bit of a bit a bit of a stress uh, due to the pandemic and you can't go out, yeah, at least you can. Um, relax yourself uh, by by doing an hour of, of training and you can make it as tough as you want to of course exactly. i'm yeah. i'm not i'm not that good i'm uh, i'm level c i don't know uh, and if i um, if i am uh, if i have a strong ride i i reach 3.0 watt per kg i'm 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 now 80 kilograms Right. I, I went down in kilograms because I used to be a bit heavier, but mm -hmm. every hour, every half a year of Swift has uh, reduced my body weight. So that's okay. also an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Right. That's for, for cyclists that uh, that's what you want. So yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Jeff, do you have any, uh, any other questions? No, no, I think we're at the hour mark. So I think we should, you know, just want to be, 
uh, cognizant of the, the time, make sure we're not overstaying our welcome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they yeah. Kind of to to sum things up, uh, uh, Eric. Uh, um, if you look at the 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 goal, the objective of this podcast, right, is uh, is everything cycling and uh, to make make cycling as easy as possible, so you can really enjoy it. And I think you are uh, uh, a very good example of that, right? Um, uh, using cycling to to get around wherever you are on the globe um, and, and being competitive and, and trying all different disciplines. Um, I think it was great to to get those insights and uh, um, uh, learn more about you and, and where you've been. And uh, yeah, I think it was amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, thank you, Jerry and, and Jeff for inviting me. And uh, I'm just a simple amateur and I just, uh, I just ride my bike and uh, try to make the best of life uh, what's possible and uh, never been a professional and uh, and uh, but I, I'm enjoying it fully and uh, very nice to, uh, talking with you guys. I feel very flattered and honored to be part of this podcast and I will uh, I will uh, promote it to uh, all the all the people I know and um, wishing wishing you guys all the best and hope to see you uh, sometime in real life, uh, whether in uh, around Pennsylvania or uh, right. maybe here in South America. If you ever uh, <laughs> plan to uh, to travel to this place, you're more than welcome. And uh, all the best to you guys. Thanks very much. And we see each other again on, uh, on Swift soon, I, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Eric. And uh, Happy New Year um, and uh, setting goals for 2021. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.